Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. Welcome to another episode of Really True Fiction. My name is Luke Mason. And my name is David Parker. David, is there no justice for Barb? You know, this was something that bothered me in my first watch through of this show. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't feel like there ever really is. You know, they, they kind of try to address it in later seasons, I guess, which we'll get to. But I I don't feel there's ever any justice for Barb. I don't remember... Because because the truth is, you can can you really get justice for having your life just taken away <laughs> at such a young age? Is well, justice even possible? No, I totally not. But I I feel I think that the a lot of the consternation or you know pseudo consternation that came out of all of that was just because Barb died in a manner that Will doesn't. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like somehow we get Will back, but uh, we couldn't get Barb back. Like she was the sacrificed character here, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like now, seemed... obviously, from a like a narrative perspective, you have to do that. You can't just kill Will off; it'd be too devastating for the audience. Sure. But like, why? Why does Barb the disposable character in this show? Well, there's a few of... other dis- people who just get killed, and we don't ever get to see them again. It makes um, it makes it kind of more question asking about the upside down and the nature of the upside down and the demogorgon and what the demogorgon wants because does the demogorgon like a presumably the demogorgon takes both of them to the upside down but chooses to kill barb but not will <laughs> yeah and, and also i mean like what uh what is the demogorgon we kind of learn about that later on mm-hmm. and then i think anything additionally the anger was around the fact that only Nancy seemed to care that Barb wasn't around. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone was like, oh, whatever. It was no. very much like, um, it reminded me of, of like Stephen King works where one of the great motifs of Stephen King's works is that there's adults around who are useless and don't even pay attention to anything. True. It's kind of, it's almost a nod to that, uh, to that Halloween genre, which Stephen King captures so well. Yeah. So, um, no justice for Barb, hey? No, none. <laughs> none. It's it's sad, really. Yes. Maybe we should start a petition, justice for Barb. How would we How would we help her? How do we help you Barb? Know, it might, it, it might, well, I think it would be more satirical than anything, but it could be enjoyable. <laughs> I know, but like, okay, if we were going to rewrite this show, how do we write Barb's uh, sudden end a little bit more dignified than she got out of it all? You know, maybe she's the one that kills the Demogorgon. Ah, maybe right? she's like... And she's the hero who saves the town or something. Well, why does it have to be Eleven? Or maybe she's not quite dead yet in the Upside Down, and she and Will somehow work together to... Or 
she sacrifices herself to save Will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they work together right. for a few episodes. Maybe we get some hints of that anyway, or at least some exposition from Will. And then Barb heroically saves Will at the end or helps Joyce and Hopper find Will. And Yeah, that, that would probably be a, a nobler end for her. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. R.I.P. Barb. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we weren't on the writing team. <laughs> yeah, no, we would have given you a nobler end. <laughs> yes. So thank you for joining us today for part two of our Stranger Things season one escapade. Uh, in part one, we talked about the five kids of the show, Will, Dustin, Lucas, Mike, and Eleven. Uh, we went into pretty, uh, I think, decent character detail. Uh, one of the things I noticed from re-listening to that episode was how much of, like, obviously, I think, season one is the best season but you start to attribute a lot of subsequent seasons into your memory of the first season so yeah a lot of season two and three is infected in my mind of how i perceive of the show as a whole and i'm in the same boat it's a problem because we're supposed to be discussing next time we do something like this we can't like watch ahead Right, because because then we we end up in this horrible situation where our our pure, the purity of our season watching experience is not being expressed. Well, yeah, just like the little things, like how Lucas was a little bit less relational. Than I remember him being, you know, or like yeah, how yeah, there's just there's just more. Like I just remember Dustin being a, a super heroic, but I think a lot of that also comes from uh, season two, and. Even how and maybe even season three. Yeah, and like Steve is great, but he's actually not in season one nearly as much as my memory. I think it's like the emergence of Steve throughout the three seasons is one of the great revelations of this show. So of course I'm gonna attribute all of that greatness to like season one. Why not? <laughs> it was the right. thing that started. But I mean it turns out not really. He's only really like he's got we'll talk about him today, and he's got a he's got like two great scenes, but I thought it was more, you know, it's just funny how like memory tricks you like that. It's true. It's true. These, these stories meld into each other. Right. I find that with a lot of television yeah. particularly. So if like half an hour from now you're listening and you're wondering why we're not talking about any of the ostensible main characters of this show, it's because we, <laughs> we dealt with them all in the first episode. Yes. As yes, well as a exactly. bit of a plot rundown. So check out our, our 69th episode for that one. <laughs> part one of Stranger Things. <laughs> Which, this will know, be part two. strange to think of it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. I guess 69 is normaler things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It happens everywhere. It's yes. just weird. It just, one of those things that just keeps Actually, popping you know up. what? Okay. It reminded me a little bit. I, there was something I was going to ask you in that episode and I forgot. Have you ever heard of the TV show The Americans? I have, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's a great show. I would recommend it to all listeners. It would be awesome. Actually, it would be a great thing for us to do. It was an, yeah, it was I, I enjoyed that Incredibly good show. show. Uh, there's, yeah, there's a lot of nuance to it. But in, in season two, there's a scene where the daughter walks in on the two parents in the bedroom, and she's like 12 or 13, right? And the thing is, the parents are 69ing. <laughs> right. They're not just having sex. They're 69. So I wanted to ask you, like, do you think that's worse like, do you think it's worse um, to walk in on a maybe not I don't know. mainstream? I don't think so. When you're in that position, I think it would just be any kind of involvement of your parents <laughs> sexually would just be uncomfortable. I don't well, think for sure. But I mean, do you think there'd be a difference between just like vanilla missionary? And no, I don't think so. I think it's just like universally a feeling of, of revulsion. <laughs> 
I guess I guess my impulse here is like to me there's about four or five kind of basic sex positions that are on the table in any given congress. <laughs> right. Whereas right. whereas 69ing is a like it almost feels like a little bit special, which means it feels like a little bit thought out and planned for. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so so I feel like it might as you maybe not in the moment, but as you reflected on it further, you'd be like, "Oh my gosh." My parents were really like meticulous in what they wanted on this evening. It wasn't just like a random spur of the moment. I'm sure that happened. Yeah. Like <laughs> I haven't thought about it much, but now that you've brought it to mind, like, <laughs> like, uh, is it worse if your parents have this kind of like whole plan made out and maybe even like a, a role play or a fantasy all ready to go. And that's what you walk in on versus <laughs> versus just like, Hey, you yeah. ready? Yeah, let's go. That w- I, I Arguably that probably would be worse. I mean, <laughs> Because it would be a little weirder, right? Yeah. Like it would. One's pretty normal, but the the others. Uh, what's going on, guys? Yeah, um, listeners, please write in on your most to least favorite ways to walk in on your parents in a sexual manner. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. <laughs> I want the we ranking. Wrote, I want the ranking. We have a really, really niche audience. So uh... <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of them listen to us, though. <laughs> I think we don't. We have a non-random selection, I imagine. No, it's true. It's true. Uh-uh. So yeah. Anyway, just wanted to thank everyone for listening. If you want to get in contact with us, you can send us an email at reallytruefiction at gmail dot com. Uh, we're on Facebook. You can find us on Facebook and uh, like us, and then you'll get notifications every time we release an episode. Uh, on that vein, if you subscribe to us on any of podcasting apps that you use, you'll get a notification again. We try to do releases on Sundays, so. That's when you'll know. We don't. We don't on. always make it, but uh, usually that's my fault. It's not Luke's, so I apologize <laughs> for that, guys. Well, uh, I'm gonna get better. I promise. I'm, <laughs> I'm reforming my ways. My procrastinating ways are over. I'm gonna like keep a schedule now. <laughs> well, you know what? If you're gonna be a procrastinator, I hope you get paid for it. <laughs> oh man! At least I do. At least I do. <laughs> and um, if you get any value out of really true fiction, we'd really appreciate uh, a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Apple Music. Uh, that's actually a really good way to help the algorithms uh, and help the show grow. And actually, I noticed uh, we got another review from the states, and they really liked our East of Eden episode. So that oh, felt really good. Good, good. I, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, East of uh, Eden is a is a personal favorite of both David and I. I was just talking about that last night. Uh, Tim Shell. It's still uh, it's still become a big part of my philosophy of life. Mm-hmm. I think my philosophy of life has developed a lot over doing this podcast with you. But and that one particularly really has stood out as like a foundational piece, like the thou mayest, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, exactly. It's so important. So it was cool to get like a shout out for an episode that I know. I mean, I think you and I like all of our episodes, but just ones that are really memorable to us. I just even when we recorded East of Eden and editing it and releasing it the whole time, I was like, oh, this is really good. You know, like yeah, it was it like two hours good. of us being good. on of a book we yeah. really liked. Uh, so, yes. So, yeah, that was cool. So thank you, everyone. And um, we really appreciate all of it. And tell your friends if you like it, uh, because, you know, we're recording this on a day where there are even more strict restrictions coming in from the government around COVID. So this feels like a good time to listen to podcasts. <laughs> so part two, I thought we could start with Joyce. Joyce is Will and Jonathan's mother, played by Winona Ryder in the show, which just tangentially, I thought this was a really cool... I always like when actors or actresses from when I was a kid 
kind of get a a, a resurgence or a, yeah. re, a reincarnation to a what different was she, what was audience. she in when, when we were kids okay so you know I, she was in lots of stuff but <laughs> this is gonna be funny the movie i remember her from the most which is really dumb but really was a really fun movie was um mr deeds with Adam Sandler. Oh. <laughs> she was the love interest in Mr. Deeds. Right. Man, I, I have... That, yeah. <laughs> and I know she was in right. lots of movies and lots of good movies, but she also had uh, kind of like tabloid struggles with shoplifting. With shoplifting? Well, she she was caught shoplifting, right? Oh, like she, wow. she She had the like kleptomania, I guess. Man, even even movie stars, eh? Yeah. You know, just, I guess I never think of that. <laughs> so, so I think like she had a few tumultuous years in the press so all that's to say it's just kind of fun and nice to see someone get like a second wind in life and in their Ah, career man and And i i think that's a big part of persistence right being a persistent person is so important which i guess is something that i admire about her you know you you mm -hmm. confront your mistake you you work through it and you you keep going and and you get into one of the biggest shows in the world yeah exactly not kid ourselves hundreds of millions of people have watched stranger things Mm -hmm. and and in a way that i feel like she is just like she i guess every character is crucial to this show but she is a linchpin for especially this season um in regards to actually i think she's the the emotional undercurrent of this entire show Mm. right uh her and hop hopper i guess but uh yeah actually it's kind of a both and i guess yeah so nice job winona Ryder. but anyway what would be your like opening thoughts on things that joyce made you think of throughout this season well i'm gonna maybe be a little bit uh controversial here i thought she kind of like it was her acting that really drew me in because it was like she was a little bit off her rocker. Mm-hmm. Like this this mother was a little bit nuts, like just a little bit crazy, not like really crazy, but yeah. a little bit. But her love for her kids is so pure and authentic and she's working so hard to take care of them. And like she's kind of fraying at the edges because there's just so much work. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, single mom. She's, yeah. She's just got to get through it. Right. And. And so there's a little bit of craziness there, but it's a great, uh, like, I guess just, I mean, in her personality, like, you know, you can just notice it, but even, it even gets self-referential in later seasons, but I, I, particularly in this season, like she's not giving up. Like she, mm. she's a, she's an optimist to the end, mm-hmm. right? No, no matter the evidence, she still believes well, it's appropriate that you talk about Winona Ryder's perseverance in her own person in her career right. because exactly. Joyce's perseverance in this show essentially it seems almost ludicrous if you thought about it rationally, right? <laughs> I, I remember watching it being like, you know, we know that he's maybe still alive, but like if I encountered someone who told me that after they pulled the body out of the quarry, I I don't think I would have kept believing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the signaling throughout the show of her being not off her rocker is that she keeps admitting that she knows her behavior is erratic and like no one should believe her <laughs> in a way like right. she she yes. has a few lines yes. to to Jonathan and to Hopper I think along the way where she's like I know this sounds crazy or I know you won't believe me or no one will believe me but I know I'm right so she's kind of like she's she's definitely self-assured in her yep um, yeah, I mean, her interpretations it, about what, what, what one would think was a de- complete delusion turns out to be true, mm-hmm. right? It's interesting. 
So, I mean, like in the show, obviously, it's to keep the tension up and to keep someone looking for Will, which I thought narratively was amazing. Like just the way that Joyce kind of keeps pulling the people around her, especially Jonathan and Hopper, back into the search in ways that were they left to their own devices, I think they would have not been as thorough themselves along the way. And it was yes. really cool because as far as the story goes, there's there's these like three storylines, right? There's the kind of Joyce Hopper storyline, the kids storyline with Eleven, and then the Nancy, Jonathan, Steve storyline that all three converge at the end in a way that's really cool. Uh, good storytelling, I would say. Yeah. But yeah. it's like... The little, like, Jonathan, okay, I'm not going to talk much about this, but just as a story point, Jonathan isn't going to pay as much credence to Nancy's story about seeing the Demogorgon outside of Steve's house the day she goes back to look for Barb, right? You remember that part where Nancy goes back, gets, like, a glimpse of the Demogorgon, tells Jonathan about it. Jonathan isn't going to have the same kind of searching or, like, follow the clues mentality if Joyce hasn't already told Jonathan about this monster that she thinks is in the house <laughs> right well exactly so and he reacts like the audience is kind of reacting mm-hmm. here, right but without Joyce being able to tell Jonathan about this quote-unquote crazy thing that happened to her he's not going to have the kind of ding in his brain when Nancy talks about it to connect those two data points as potentially related and then to follow it up with more clues. And it's like, that's how they kind of learn more about it, right? And and, and as, we, as we've said uh, in the last episode, I mean, this really is a detective story from three different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And so right. it kind of stems from Joyce's commitment to believing her own eyes. <laughs> and Over believing, everything else. And, that, yeah. and that's so much of a mother's love, right? Is, mm-hmm. is, is just never giving up, right? And always loving and... And always caring for and always sacrificial, right? Mm-hmm. And m- more metaphorically, those those little parts made me think a lot about like being able to believe your own eyes, essentially. Like, you know, Joyce sees the Demogorgon, so she is committed to believing that it exists. Or sees the monster. She doesn't call it the Demogorgon, right. but sees the monster is committed to thinking it's real, even though she knows it's crazy. And even though everyone else says she's probably crazy, and like at the level of metaphor, it's much more like on one end of the spectrum, it's like when people are gaslighting you and having the strength to stick to your guns. Yeah, Even even though that there's something really compelling in what the person who's gaslighting you is saying. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, of course I'm questioning my own mind. But also, like, that's, that's if someone is nefarious. It might even be harder with people you care about who just feel sorry for you like they take pity on you but still don't believe you <laughs> i know <laughs> you yeah know? they they still love you they have nothing like against you but they think you've gotten crazy mm-hmm. and joyce is so beautifully representational of a person who sticks to her guns and sticks to her what she sees with her own eyes as opposed to what everyone else is telling her is real or true or or even like relevant or believable, and yeah, like this is a, this is a person of high conviction. Yeah, like they they be, when they when they believe something they believe it, and you know they're not going to be easily 
you know, swayed from that belief. Mm. I kind of think it as long of it like long term investing, right? Mm. Like you don't pay attention to the ups and downs of the market when you're long term investing. You just say I'm I'm putting it in this and I'm holding it, right? And like if you've if you've done that with Amazon, right, when we first heard about it, or Google, or any of these companies, we'd all be wealthy, right? Mm. And there'd be a lot of people being like, oh. It's like Tesla. Oh, it can't possibly go higher. Like, there's no way. They were saying that when it was like worth 500 billion less than it is now, mm-hmm. right? And and so it's it's kind of a matter of faith, right? But it becomes kind of a foundational belief in something that can transform the world. Yeah, like, and you know, and I, and I mean that is like that's the emotional underpinning of Stranger Things mm-hmm. is Joyce's unwavering faith. Yeah, that her that her that William or that Will's not dead. Well, she, it's also because, and this is a cool thing, she knows Will better than anyone, right? Like she knows his tendencies and his kind of personality quirks that she can, <laughs> I mean, it's funny when you say it out loud, but she can intuit that it's him when it's the lights, right? Yeah. Like she can yeah. just sense his personality. Now, obviously, literally, this is this is kind of absurd, but I think that there's a really strong metaphor working here. It's like, Joyce knows her son so well. She knows a couple crazy things that she's seen with her own eyes. She pursues the, you know, quote unquote, evidence of the lights <laughs> and the Christmas lights where it's leading, even in a, even though it might seem silly at first. Again, this is all at the level of metaphor, but like a lot of things that we take for granted now as just kind of basic in the world were followed by people who at first were called silly for thinking that it was possible, right? Like even take- it's true. I don't know. Flying. Like flight. Yeah, I was thinking that. Like Or electricity. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like all of these things that are just kind of basic. Or the internet. Every day taken for granted now. Someone at some point had to step out into the chaotic unknown with just kind of like following the evidence as they best could and, and doing experiments and stuff like that, right? I think I think it's Clark's first law, but I might have this wrong, which says that anything sufficiently advanced technologically is indistinguishable from magic. Mm. And how could that not be true? Uh, yeah. Right now, you and I are communicating over 4,000 kilometers instantaneously yeah. through sound Easily. waves that have, been, that have gone through a microphone, yeah. been digitized and coming out the other way through speakers. Like all of this, this, this is magic, but we don't think of it as magic because it's technology. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we become so convinced that reality is like, this, this scientific idea of, you know, laws and like the universe is unchangeable, but like we lose sight of how creative mm. humans can be. And not only that, what we've, what we've already created. Yeah. And I think that in my mind, if Stranger Things is about anything, and this is probably like projecting my own worldview onto it, but why not? Right. It's our podcast. Mm. <laughs> um, I think humans are capable of magic. Yeah. Right. We could we can and and look at what we built. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, the smartest people, were always always saying that 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 was impossible. You know, I often get told like it's impossible. We're never going to get off planet Earth. That's so long in the future. Why? Well, if nobody thinks about it, if no one talks about it, if we don't get out there, right, mm-hmm. and explore the stars, then you know that's sad. Just on a on an existential level, and I think we kind of talked about that in foundation, mm-hmm. but I think. I think that's what I like about 
Joyce is that level of conviction and a thing that ends up being true that she always knew was true that everyone said was impossible. Well, I think that, yeah, I mean, that's all awesome. I agree. Like the, the wonder of the human and the, and the kind of courage and bravery of Joyce to be the individual standing up against the consensus, right? Like that's kind of her placement in the show is she's, she's against the consensus. And uh, this is, again, a little tangential aside, but you know, these things all remind me of these other things. So one of the greatest videos I have ever seen in my life is Christopher Hitchens defending free speech at the University of Toronto circa 2006. I think he's just got this uh, eviscerate, a visceral takedown of censorship and anti-free speech mentality and etc and i'll probably link it into the episode show notes for this one because it's just like it's both philosophically vibrant and aesthetically pleasing for me uh but anyway he 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 flourishes one of his points with saying something like i'm not going to get it verbatim but the sentiment is i like if people agree with me but i don't care if they do my own opinion is enough for me and I demand right, the right, right to have it, to have the freedom to express it anywhere, anytime, any place. And anyone who doesn't agree with me can come see me after. <laughs> you know, it's just like the fortitude to be able to stick to the idea that your own opinion is enough for you to maintain your way in the world. Uh, that- there is so much strength in that. There's exactly. So much strength. And this is, and this is a, an additional crucial point about Joyce is that the reason why her like why she's not obstinate or pig-headed or stubborn is because she seems to me like the kind of person who would change her mind if given compelling evidence, right? Right. Now, you could say the body is compelling evidence, and I think maybe we can talk a little bit more about that when we get to Hopper, but she knows something is going on that isn't normal here. Right. Like she right. knows that there's something out of the ordinary. I actually can't remember if she knows anything about the government involvement or this, this, anything like that. But she, maybe you can remember, why is she convinced the body in the water isn't Will? Is it just because of all the lights? No, I think it's the, I think, like, I, this is where I mean she's a little bit crazy. Like, this level of conviction is, is nuts. I think she just refuses to believe he's dead. She's in denial. Right, but but, but, but then she eventually she goes and sees the body, but she can only see it, and then she just says it's not him, right? And it's Hopper that that goes to her eventually and is like, well, it wasn't. I I checked, and it's it's you know fake. Yeah, but I think the reason, and maybe none of the other characters in the show know this. Jonathan goes in there. He he's convinced. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm I'm thinking that the reason Joyce isn't convinced is because she's already been. Like playing with, with the lights and communicating with right. Will as far as her like no other characters has seen any of this I, I don't think I think only us as the audience are let in so the audience and the characters aren't all in the same uh, we aren't no, on the same no, epistemological ground I don't know like I feel like if if nothing had happened in terms of like lights or phone calls in the house that are weird and off Joyce would have seen the body in the water and probably been more willing to accept that it was Will yeah um, that's probably true Nevertheless, I was just thinking about this as you were saying. You know what character she really reminds me of? This might be a funny comparison, but she really reminds me of Lucy from *Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*. Where, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know where? Um, well, it's it's. The, I think that reminder is the, because both are you know engaged in faith mm-hmm. of something that seems impossible. But 
they know that it's happened to them. Right. And exactly. they're not going to let themselves be gaslit or manipulated, even if it's like, you know, <laughs> their own opinion <laughs> kind of thing. I actually see that about, I, I see that with my, my parents' faith. Actually, I would say it's something I admire about it is, is mm. they would say they've, ex- they've had an experience with God. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and they don't care what I say. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore. And it's not because of some argument or, you know, or they, they, they were convinced by like a series of principles or anything like that. They're like, this is a literal experience that I've had mm-hmm. and you can't convince me otherwise. And like my experience I'll say is different, but it is interesting to me, right? That that's, that level of conviction is is admirable, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. So it was just kind of fun to see. Yeah, she's in a sense, in in one sense, she's kind of the engine of the show. She keeps things moving by being eccentric and erratic, but also like it's weird. It's hard to explain exactly if you haven't seen the show. But she's both really strange and hard to pin down and yet you also at the same time totally understand her motivations and reasons for doing things yeah it's <laughs> so, a, it's actually cathartic right you yeah. you you feel she's very empathic right like you mm-hmm. feel her emotions with her yeah and the other thing that she portrayed really beautifully in the show that i thought was worth bringing up was she kind of became the only parent figure to 11 that 11 could have ever had it's true. You know, like the true. scene yeah, in yeah, the school right, with right. the pool. Um, I think she says something like, you're not alone. Don't worry. And like Eleven is, you know, Eleven looks at Joyce because this is the first adult, really, that Eleven has come across other than um, the guy in the restaurant and then Papa. So yeah. she was she yeah. was maybe on the way with that with the guy. I can't remember his name, but the, the guy in the restaurant. But then Joyce like shows her some physical affection and says, look, you're not alone. We're here with you. And you can just tell by the way that Eleven is looking at Joyce that this is the first time she's ever experienced anything coming close to just parental love and affection and comfort. And it took, you know, Joyce, this kind of erratic, (laughs) borderline crazy lady to do it. And, uh, And it's just it was it's more of those like true colors things that Joyce is showing that um, are just so endearing and it's like you just you see the um, the duality of the panic and protection and affection of a parent for a child and it's like it's like the total opposite of you know there, there's just so many tropes and stereotypes and archetypes even in movies and books of negligence or abuse or like terrible parenting and i i guess one of the things that's just so endearing about stranger things is that in joyce you get an archetype of the opposite of that somehow you know like the concern and especially compared to lonnie her ex-husband who's just there to cash in right so yeah i think joyce is like a character that she becomes more important i think as you think about the show show more the experience of her in the show is sometimes you're a little bit like, Ugh, you are losing your mind, miss. But yeah, she's a she's a character I think that benefits from reflection a bit. No, I and and but I mean also you feel some pretty visceral feelings when you're engaging uh, with the character throughout the show as well. I think just very primal, even like child or 
the child, a mother's love for her, their child, mm-hmm. like sadness, fear, anxiety. There's a lot of that plays into her too, right? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, moving into Hopper, I would just lead off with him saying that maybe better than any show or TV or movie I've ever seen, he exemplifies this this aspect that I adore in characters, and it's the the pull to the facts and the truth of something, even when it goes against his own interest for its own sake, and then also just because he knows that there's some sort of like abuse or cover-up happening, you know? So his arc of being just this kind of nasty, unpleasant person who just can't let go of the little details that aren't adding up to him and has to keep pulling on the thread to find the truth about a story he's like it's like the best form of detective or journalist or some sort of like truth finder in the world that i i just was so i don't know like enlivened by you know yeah i don't i don't know if i agree like i i was definitely not into his character for most of it but i was the first time i watched it and i think it goes back to that kind of rust coal ideation i had because he's the smoking tragic you know filled with misery and sorrow character you know what i mean he's and he's a little Mm -hmm. bit too smarter than everyone but his nihilism is just evident right and uh, I mean, I had a more I w- I'd say I felt more affinity for those kind of characters in a past way of living for myself. Right. Hmm. But now I kind of look at them. and I, f- I, I get the sense of tragedy. Right. Where I'm like, you are you are wallowing. Right. You are not living in the wonder of possibility and in the magic of life. Right. Even like when we were talking about being able to create things. Right. And and what's possible while we're alive instead Instead, Hopper's wallowing in, you know, some past event in his life that he can't get past, right? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the tragedy is certainly in the fact that he lost his daughter when she was, I don't know, obviously that is a five or six, yeah. And and horrific, and, you know, it it gives a emotionally satisfying reason for kind of his degeneracy. Mm -hmm. But, like, at the end of the day, I see the fact that he couldn't, you know, deal with that as evidence, perhaps that uh that he hasn't really learned the important lessons of maybe stoicism i guess i wouldn't say necessarily stoicism but it's understanding that we can't control the outside world we just there's there's going to be things that are going to happen that are utterly tragic in our lives right suffering as jordan peterson says Mm. yeah certainly that's true i mean i i would probably say that by the end of the show like this like even this season he has kind of turned that corner a bit I think it's his yes. his his so that, commitment. That arc is great. I but I don't like in the first season he barely turns that corner. Like maybe at the very end. Well, right? I think his commitment to helping Joyce find Will and going into the upside down with Joyce and like confront. I mean, it didn't seem like a very wise decision in the show, but like confronting the government again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. Yes. Yes. Um, like he's definitely committed to uncovering the plot. Or, like, exposing the conspiracy. And, and maybe what that has to do, really, is actually is just showing us that, you know, a character can have, can do positive things in the world and be a wreck and a mess, mm-hmm. right? You can you can still, and, and maybe that's really a story to all of us, you know? We all have things that have broken us and hurt mm-hmm. us and, and, you know, turned us 
on ourselves and cause us to hurt others. But maybe maybe that doesn't have to be the end of the story, A. And B, even with all those problems that we have, we can still, you know, help one another. It's There's a great, uh, I guess it's a spoken word poem called uh, Wooden Hearts mm. that I highly recommend everyone listen to. But it's, you know, we're, we're made out of shipwrecks, every one, right? And I think all of us are. We've all got these deep wounds from, you know, living. Like people we love died or... You know, or or things didn't maybe turned out. There's a great quote by Annie Dillard, like so many people, their lives didn't turn out the way they'd hoped. And, you know, that doesn't take away their dignity, mm-hmm. but their grief is enormous. Right. Yeah. That's a good highlighting of like maybe um I guess maybe if I were going to rephrase it, it's like there's like a dualism going on in Hopper's life where he is in in the one sense, he's this kind of tragic you know, morose and like in some sense, justifiably morose, but also like not moving on with his life or not even like, not, not that I'm saying you'd want to forget something like your daughter dying, but just not taking her memory to move forward to try and do something else good in the world, you know? So like, there's that kind of like funk he's in, which translate into a lot of his like sarcasm and put downs. So yeah, like that's the, that's definitely a negative thing that I don't think is particularly admirable in Hopper, but part of how he comes out of that is he gets back to his instincts and his commitment to like, at least in an ideal sense, the commitment of a sheriff or a police force or a detective to like find out the truth of what's happened to someone and bring the guilty parties to justice in some way. Now, obviously, there's a little bit of pie in the sky there, but he's still committed to those ideas, I would argue, nonetheless. And Right, right. And, 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 and it's done in an artistic way when with his lines. I love this line. He says... Yeah, I think it's in the second episode. Bike like this, a Cadillac to these kids. He would have walked at home. So it's like there's that early scene where they find he and his deputy find Will's bike by the side of the road. And the deputy is like a little bit oblivious to like what the implications of this might but, be. But like, this goes back to a thing we've talked about a lot, observation. Exactly. Right? He's a very observant person. He's a man not totally consumed by his own internal world. Mm-hmm. He can He's out there looking around what's going on, right? Yeah. And I mean, like, this could be a literal version of that David Foster Wallace being conscious versus unconscious. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like good, his, or at least a good example of it. Yeah, his observational sense. And, and so then, like, I don't know. I guess I'm just saying, like, I'm really attracted to this idea or trope or personality tra- uh, type even, I guess of the observant of everything and paying attention to every little detail because you don't know where the good, the right clue will be. Like, notice how closely Hopper pays attention to the fact that it's state troopers who are coming in and out of the morgue or, or in and out of the, like, quarry versus, wait a minute, that's not their jurisdiction. And I don't immediately see a good reason why it should be the stateies versus right. my local mortician. Or my right. local, right? Like, to the deputies, that would be like, well, whatever. The stadies are doing it. I'm not invested enough. But to Hopper, it's like, well, no, this, you know, two, two plus, or I don't know, 100 plus 500 is 600, not 599. So I got to figure out where that one little place is off. And maybe it's a rounding error or maybe something's happening here, but I got to know. You know, whereas the deputies would be like, ah, whatever, it's probably a rounding error. And it often True. is, I'm sure, right? But right. for the times it's not, it's that due diligence and thoroughness that I find really admirable in Hopper's character and 
very compelling. Like it's to me, it's the most yeah, compelling part of his I, character. I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. And so I think maybe the kind of like real life thing to glean out of that is something I can't remember which episode it was. Maybe it was Harry Potter, Chamber of Secrets. But it's just like the devil's in the details, and when the stakes are high enough, those the, the details matter. It's true. It's no, they absolutely do. And so I think that that's kind of. Um, like it's it's great narratively. Like the, the this is of all of the great storytelling elements, one of the ones that is the most fun for me is seeing Hopper put the puzzle together. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's it's quite pleasing as a storytelling device. And Joyce actually like Joyce knows that Hopper will help because of his remembrance of his daughter Sarah. It's just good writing to have a character have a kind of more ex- existential motivation that's like a specter on the on the on the margins of the story that's being told right now, but we get a True. feel for it. Like why, you know, why does Hopper care this much about a kid? Oh, okay. That's yeah, you know, he's got a history and a piece of baggage there that's going to make him be more compelling. And I don't know, like, I think he's actually quite redemptive. Yeah, the, yeah. No, 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 I, I agree. I just, I guess I wanted to make sure that I highlighted that maybe, and this is probably just me preaching to the choir, but it's like <laughs> that. Uh, hey, you know what? Wallow. The choir comes every week for a reason. Yeah, they you know what? They're, they're, <laughs> they're the most faithful fans. <laughs> uh, yeah, that if, if, uh, if something's happened to you in your life, you know, that has really hit you and, and just, left you reeling like let me encourage you that getting out of that is no matter what maybe you don't feel like you're you know honoring that that mm-hmm. pain mm-hmm. but there is more to life there is there's life after death kind of thing and that i think that's the kind of interesting story uh that religion tells us a metaphor right. that maybe is meant as a metaphor but we take it as reality but you know there's life after the pain of loss yes yeah no Absolutely. All of the best parts of the afterlife components of religion uh, are then the before life components. Yes. Yeah. Life. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least that's my <laughs> that's my understanding of the universe. I don't know, but uh, that that would be I would I would say with humility it seems it seems like that's the case. <laughs> well, even if it's not, it's still better to take those ideas in the before lifetime anyway. yeah well exactly <laughs> for for the purposes of securing the aftertime right if if that should be the case right well or at least enjoying better versions of this life right right exactly <laughs> the only other thing i would want to point out about hopper and it's it's a more of a psychological point and it's not unique to hopper in in this show like in the totality of culture but you'll notice how he uh he kind of blinds himself by getting into a narrative like in true detective he walks far down the um, path of L is Will, right? Like the fact yeah. that there's this kid with a shaved head, it's probably Will. So he kind of builds this narrative even passively or subconsciously in his own head, which can kind of make you lose some clues about the reality of something if you're convinced or or like, I don't even know the right word, you're subconsciously compelled to believe something that seems like if it if it if this is the thing, you've cracked the case maybe, or the case yeah, will be what you want it to true. be. I think Dan Dennett calls them all these garden paths mentally we can go down that that take us far away from our stated path or the one that we would want to be on if we're doing our job properly, kind of thing. Right. And right. Um, I just think that it's so useful to think about 
fixating on the wrong thing. Like it, if you imagine it, like you go down the wrong path, that means every other path you go down past that path is also the wrong path. So you've like, yeah. you've made a bad uh, direction change at that point. And, and it's really hard to, I, this is, this is why it's a psychological point is that it's really hard to remain agnostic about compelling evidence. Nah, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, like, I mean, only if you're a curious and interested person, right? You can, you can remain agnostic about a lot of things if you don't if you're just you know checked out well i mean there's the irony here that hopper Apathy, is right yeah 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 the the irony being hopper is um he so badly wants to find will because of his daughter and because of yeah. joyce's pain yeah that he so wants 11 to be will that he doesn't really consider that it could be a second kid right. until yeah, <laughs> until they until they visit that area around the government yeah. compound and they find part of her uh, nightgown, I guess, torn there. And it's just and like, it's like, once you oh. say it's like, Oh, I guess there could be two kids in the world that are around in the neighborhood. Right. So yeah, it's just yeah. a, it's a useful warning, I guess, or thought anyway, any other thoughts on Hopper? Uh, no, that's about all the thoughts I have on him. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that reminds me of that line from Forrest Gump. Which one? <laughs> well, do you remember the scene in Forrest Gump where he's back from Vietnam and there's like this massive protest of the war at oh, Vietnam yeah, that, going off? That's all that I have to say about that. Yeah, and they pull out like someone, some general or some army person pulls out yes. all of the electrical cords so no one can hear him. And then when they plug yeah. it, like, and that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> I think next we should give our thoughts on Nancy. Oh man, I really enjoyed, uh, what I enjoyed is kind of, and this is what I enjoy most about great storytelling is when you're engaged in a truly great story, you can kind of feel like you're in the character's skin, mm -hmm. right? And I, yeah. and I felt this really good storytelling tells you what it feels like to be someone else. And I really felt like I kind of understood what it was like to be a you know teenage girl growing up by by watching this show not mm -hmm. not that i have like a totality of the experience or even like just a, a glimpse into that life right right and, and she's going through all these different perspectives and she's like she's passionate about her you know hobbies and interests but you know there's also there's everything else going around and then there's the you know the hierarchies of school and it just it's it's cool how universal they make her story while introducing to her us to her as her own individual you know vibrant character mm -hmm. and then how they extend what we think about her with her concern about barb and her almost past the point of like her care for jonathan even after he's been a bit of a creep is like is admirable again, you yeah. know, like, and, yeah, and yet all the, all of this in, you know, a teenage girl who is like a little bit confused about what she wants, but then kind of sure about what she wants. Well, and then at the end we're like, Oh, and, and she just picked Steve. Right. And we're mm -hmm. like, Oh, that's an interesting. Okay. Yeah. Right. Not, not that we're not upset about it, but it's interesting. Right? Now, um, by the by again, just before I, you know, dig in a little bit deeper with Nancy is that, um, on my other podcast that I do with Billy and Alex, uh, we recently did the film A Nightmare on Elm Street, <laughs> oh, which is from okay. 1984. So, and, and, you know, this season of Stranger Things set in 1983, it's like the very, almost, it's like almost the same year. Right, and true. 
obviously Stranger Things is such an 80s, set in the 80s and such an 80s inspired. So there's two things that I loved that reminded me of Stranger Things from Nightmare on Elm Street is that yeah. um, the main character in Nightmare on Elm Street is named Nancy. Oh, <laughs> and, maybe that's how Obama Oh, is. totally. Like, and she's a girl next door with brown hair. <laughs> <laughs> so it's definitely an album. so yeah it's, it's just perfect it's just perfect and then there is a great scene too in nightmare on elm street where the the freddy krueger is pushing through the walls and the walls are extending but he hasn't broken through and it's exactly like those scenes with the demogorgon where it's pushing through the wall oh, but it hasn't really? broken through oh, yet so oh, yeah wow. like I've, just... I've been told that there's a, that, that that film lovers love stranger things oh, totally. there's and... a lot of uh self-reference oh yeah and so i would recommend to any listeners who haven't seen nightmare on elm street it's definitely worth a watch it's a very fun movie it's not scary and it's not even really a good movie i wouldn't say (laughs) but but it's it's just worth a watch well it's tongue-in-cheek and self-aware so movies that are self-aware can get away with a lot more like it's like bad on purpose right (laughs) so it's fine and the music is really cool and enjoyable yeah yep. but also just like i i love that i love that the main character is named nancy and there's that scene with like the pushing on the wall because you can just tell both of those things so inspired this element of stranger things you know the universe which is really cool but anyway nancy just seems to me like such a good soul you know like she's she's trying to navigate the world with all of his confusions about being a teenager and a teenage girl but she's like when things get she's like a pretty good person around when things get into crisis mode yeah she she is uh i mean like her marksmanship i liked that little you know the fact that she's really good with a gun is just you know she's she's a very practically useful person and with the good head on her shoulders she uh, how would i even say this like she seems at least of all of the teenagers and probably the kids because the kids don't really think like this she showed to me the best ability to triage problems. True. So that scene where Steve says to her, don't tell the cops or don't tell, because then they'll tell my parents and then my parents will know that I had a party kind of thing. And she says, Barb is missing and you're worried about the cops. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. it's just like that one line so clearly shows to like an audience member like me, just the ability to triage. I don't even know how else to put it, right? Like, I guess one of my pet peeves about the world is when people don't seem to be concerned with the right thing at the right time (laughs) (laughs) when there's like this obviously other big problem like i don't know like i i would i guess it maybe to put in a positive way i like people who are able to have perspective on the fly you know like as they're even talking about something like their problems or what's bothering them they're able to like as they're saying it reflectively proportionate and weigh it against other issues in their life or other people's lives to determine at what level of triage it's at, you know? Right. And that doesn't necessarily make it that the other thing isn't a problem. Like in one sense, you could say Steve's family learning about him having a party from the cops is a problem. It's just not the same kind of problem that were Steve to reflect on it. Hopefully he could come to the same conclusion. Right. You know, as right. opposed to Barb True. is missing. Like, if you compare Barb is missing to cops are going to find out you had a party at your house, like, it's a no-brainer. And I guess I just, I like when that can happen in real life on the fly for someone. Be like, oh, I had this happen to me today. But you know what? 
I also had this other thing and this other thing, and those two things were pretty good, and this other thing, well, at least it didn't get as bad as it could have been if it had gone even further in this direction, you know? Just like that kind of mental calibration of your own problems, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, exactly. And just I just knowing, really appreciated just that what... Nancy seemed like she was someone who would be so good at that. True. You know? So... That was probably my favorite observation about her. Other than, of course, she's like quite kind and sweet and like experiencing the world for the first time in a lot of different ways. And just like kind of remembering, obviously, I wasn't never a teenage girl either, but just remembering the joy of experiencing some great things about life for the first time as you become, because obviously your teenage years and especially like 16, 17, 18, so much of your life changes and you get so much more grown up in a way, yep. you know? Yep. And she's dealing with all of that. And just like her palpable frustration when no one believes her. <laughs> yes. And you feel it. You do feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just found her to be, I don't know, like the great thing about this show is that I feel like my favorite character is just whoever I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, like you definitely, uh, you definitely seem to oscillate there. <laughs> well, it's like when people ask me, "Well, what's your f- favorite Jimmy World song?" Well, it's often the one I'm listening to. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. I like that one. So, yeah, I don't know, and I mean, I, I, I in the first, in part one, we talked about how one, uh, I think, probably the genius of Stranger Things is that it manages to both be a good story and a good mystery and a good character drama and character sketch as well. Like so many shows can't do both. Mm-hmm. And, and so like the no, fact true. that we're so sucked in and compelled by Nancy's combination of strength and innocence and triaging and reflectiveness, but also like confusion, but then strength when there is a crisis again, I don't know. It's just something so cool about her that, that, and it, and it obviously, I, 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 I do find her to be one of my, I would say one of my favorite characters. I agree. My, mm-hmm. like her and Dustin were probably the two characters that I most enjoyed watching. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. What were your thoughts on Jonathan? Uh, I don't oh. really like Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. I, I, he, he's just kind of weak and annoying and. Right. I never really liked him. Like, and he's also like, kind of like, the weird kid who who thinks being brooding is interesting and it's like yeah not 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 that there's anything wrong with you know the, any of his interests or anything but like come on life is too short to like feel like you're not cool enough to hang out with other people everyone's got a story right Every, everyone's interesting in their own little way do you know what i mean like i get the incel vibe from him okay yeah I don't think he is an incel, but I get that vibe, right? And I'm like, stop, stop, you know, separating yourself from people and just, you know, live. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that would separate him out from that is I don't think he's quite angry enough to be an incel. Right. You know, or like not kind of like angry enough at the world. Like he's definitely shy and a bit of a recluse and unconfident and not sure in himself but he just doesn't seem to effuse the anger and hatred that i assume comes out of (laughs) true (laughs) incels (laughs) no i mean 
I'm I'm being too harsh hard on him, but he's just def, he's definitely my least favorite character. Yeah, no, and I think I think that that's obviously quite intentional. Is that um, it makes sense why there like there needs to, for good storytelling there needs to be tension between there needs to be personal tension between Jonathan and then like Nancy and Steve because that tension yeah. is so perfect for them to actually be able to then also have. This ev- these evidence and clues fall into their laps that they need to work together for, right? So we have yeah. this, like, they need to work together and they have this tension. And the tension is well built by the fact that Jonathan is the opposite of a popular or cool kid in the high school. So I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like Jonathan's premise as a character is almost as simple as, like, it's what the story needed, <laughs> well, I'm going to be honest. Maybe part of why I don't like him is because I, maybe I feel like I kind of was him when I was younger. Like one of the things I guess may, maybe many of the listeners don't know is I I have no sense of smell. So I, I wasn't the most um, hygienic teenager, I guess sure. you could say, I because I didn't really care uh, because I couldn't smell. But, but realizing that was really an affront to other people, but it was like just a, a disability that I had. But I feel like he didn't have that disability and yet – He's just kind of greasy, and he, he he always looks just a little bit off, like kind of pale, and he doesn't look healthy. Yeah, he not does the, look a little the, sickly all the time, like, doesn't I'm he? Like, go for a walk. Maybe play some sports, buddy. Like, <laughs> don't just sit there in the, with, with the mercury, mercury in your pictures. Like, there's more to life, right? <laughs> yeah, I but I mean, those pictures help them solve the case. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not saying it wasn't good for... Well. <laughs> I will say I don't think David, you ever were caught taking pictures, uh, taking taking candid, candid camera pictures of girls changing. <laughs> no, no, I I never did that. That that is true. I think his negative sides are quite, you know, high school based. But I love that scene with him and Will in the flashback where he is showing Will the song by The Clash. At one level, he's just trying to show Will good music, but it's also like you can hear in the background that Joyce and Lonnie are fighting. And yeah. it's like kind of like Jonathan's way of protecting Will or like distracting Will from the fact that they're fighting. And it just seemed like a really, like he, he does seem like a very wonderful brother, I guess. You know, yeah. And trying yeah, to take care he, of Will. He is a very good brother. And I think it's, he is uh, in that particular relationship kind of like amplifying, I think, one of the most noble things that a human can ever do, which is overcoming the suffering of your own life and showing love to another anyway. Mm-hmm. Like not allowing that suffering to cloud you. Yeah, that's a really good point. I like that. And I mean, the real contentious part of the season with Jonathan is the fact that he's I mean he didn't go to Steve's house to take pictures of everyone he just kind of ended up there because he was looking for Will I guess but then he took pictures which is creepy obviously and illegal I imagine yeah but his line um you capture the right moment and it says more you find people's real selves like there's something interesting there in his Oh, I feel like that's just an like one of those memes, like a thing that a person says to seem deep. You know what sure, I mean? Sure, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Well, I'm trying to find the deep version of it, which oh, is okay. more Fair like enough. Fair enough. something more like um, to the extent that any given person is intentionally or consciously trying to craft an image of themselves, it often can fall short of what <laughs> the image they present of themselves when they're not trying. <laughs> 
True. And so True. like when their guard is down, I guess I like the idea of consciously trying to live in such a way that there is a small dissonance between when your guard is up and when your guard is down. Um, right. Or, True. or like the cliche or trite expressions is what you see is what you get. I've phrased it <laughs> something like, I like to pride myself in the fact that people know what they're getting out of me forever after 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, fair, like that kind fair. of thing. Again, yeah, Jonathan is giving the high school deepity. <laughs> you know, you capture people's real selves. But, you know, I think that there is something... Something to be said for it. Well, yeah, yeah, like you'd think about like wildlife photography. It's really cool to see animals just in their habitat. You know. Oh yeah, Some just photography what... captures. Oh, I completely agree with that. Yeah, you, know? you can the, capturing a moment with photography can be can be a beautiful thing. And you know, maybe he. I'm not a photographer myself, but I'm a big. Uh, I would say a a fan. Uh, there's a subreddit called Earth Porn that I visit every day. Ah, yeah. It's just beautiful pictures of of the natural world. Love it. It's one of my favorite uh, places on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I I I guess I see what you're saying. I mean, I'll retract my, the, my like humans just being the most fascinating comment. animal. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll I'll take it back. Catching humans <laughs> in their natural habitats is like a. Maybe maybe he's got some some artistic talent uh, yet. Maybe. I won't. Uh, I'll I'll take it back. <laughs> well, I mean, like again, it's just kind of how you see it, like how it impresses itself on you. Because true, yeah. One level, Jonathan, it can you could easily interpret him as just a creep and a incel adjacent fuck up, or you could see him, I think, just as plausibly as like a tender, creative soul who doesn't have very good social skills and is trying to figure out his place in the world. You know and often it just can come down to getting to know someone over time and really seeing what their intentions are, you know? And, yeah. And I think that that's what, the, I mean, this is a throw a, a, another point about Nancy, but that's like one of the things I really liked about Nancy is that she's kind of able to see through all of the bad things about Jonathan to maybe some good things. And obviously they have a connection in that their brothers are friends. Yeah. And so then that just leaves us with Steve. <laughs> Yeah, true, Who again, as true. I mentioned earlier in this episode, he, in my memory, held a bigger amount of screen time even than he does in yeah, season one. He doesn't ha- even have kind of a character arc in this one, more of like character biopics, like minor little, you know, appearances. He's he's more of a side character. He definitely is. But I, I would say, you know, obviously he's a stereotype. He's a jerk. But it's interesting because they set him up as a stereotype as like the guy who will just say anything to the girl to get laid. And he does yeah. that, but then he's not an asshole to her about it. And he doesn't. I think that's one of my favorite things about Stranger Things is that it uh, people are, are nuanced, right? Yeah. They're real characters. They have good and bad aspects. Like we were just talking about Jonathan. And Steve is, you know, kind of your typical high school prick. But he's also a real person who has real emotions and and is going through like it's not a stereotype. That's what I love about it. Mm-hmm. None of the characters in this show are stereotyped. But they're set up as, well, to be. I guess the young kids are a little bit stereotypical in certain ways, but like in other ways, we're being introduced to the nuance of people who play Dungeons and Dragons. Let's say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> I agree. And so yeah, it's like Steve is set up as the just jock stereotype 
you know, idiot meathead who kind of realizes that he's got bad friends and he needs to blame them for his problems, not Nancy. <laughs> you yes. know, or yeah, even, not true. even Jonathan. Yeah. Like it was his friends. I don't. I can't remember the names. Like Tommy and Carol or something like that. That were the problem. And he apologizes to Nancy and he goes to help. And then even he comes back to hit the Demogorgon with the baseball bat, which is like, you know, yeah, which is I awesome. Mean, yeah. What's that? Um, it's like any movie, I guess. It's like Han Solo returning to save Luke in the trench run. <laughs> you it's know, true. it's, true. it's, it's uh, him yeah. coming back. And he just rocks a great Christmas sweater at the end of the show as well. <laughs> so, true, yeah, I mean, true. it's interesting that my memory placed him more like through season two and three where he really grows and becomes a more yes. main character. But I, I, I was happy with his arc in season one. I really I liked agree. How, I agree. how it wasn't it wasn't a total stereotype. All right. So then I just wanted to do some um, just uh, 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 bullet point notes on things in the show itself and right. see if they resonate with you. So the intro credits and music in this show are some of the fucking best I've ever heard in my life. Everyone likes them. It right? gets they, into they your soul. Grasp, yeah, they somehow grasp. It's almost like, uh, you're going to laugh when I say this, but Doctor Who. Okay. I love the <laughs> intro credits to Doctor I'm I'm secretly a, a big Doctor Who fan. I don't know <laughs> if you knew that, but mm. I watched all of the new seasons up until, I don't know, three or four years ago. Yeah. But really enjoyed it. I, I don't know. There's something about it that is, I guess, is maybe that love of magic in the world, yeah. right? That that even fantasy gives me. But I felt like there was kind of a little bit of a homage there going on, just a tiny bit with the music. If you listen to both, yeah, kind of this spooky but but curiosity-inducing music. Yeah, and then how the outro of it just kind of penetrates into your chest, yeah, <laughs> and your soul, yeah. like the da 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 da, yeah, yeah. It's like. It like mimics a heartbeat, but with synth, it's, you know? It's so good. It's so, so good. good. This is a great cultural thing, but the way that Barb's like Barb's blood falls into the pool and kind of um, dissipates, right. it's just after we've seen a Jaws poster. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I didn't even realize Yeah, that. yeah, you there see you a go. Jaws poster, and then you see her blood in the water, like just almost wow. the next scene. So it was really... I love the little shit like they, they throw that. Just the Christmas lights as memorable props. One of the things we talk about in Nothing to Fear a lot is one of the things horror does quite well is props. Just things in the house or True. things True. things in the Using, motel. Yeah, it uses just everyday things, yeah, right? Yeah, so the lights were just so good. Great storytelling, how the ham radio is in the show for a different reason and then they can use it for plot appropriate reasons. Like it's just... It seems to me plot writing 101. If you have something you need later, make sure you introduce it earlier for a different reason. So it's organic sure. why they can just go use that thing instead of, uh, oh, well, oh, there is a ham radio we haven't talked about yet. No, it's just so good how they have that in there before. We mentioned it before, but just how the three plot lines all interweave and then come together at the end. It's just such great writing. There's the scene where they're Hopper is I guess he's probably in the government installation, but like the boys are talking about the hero doing something, and then we get the parallel storytelling with Hopper doing that thing while yeah. they're talking about it. Yeah. It's so yeah. good. Just the the way the government was gonna frame Hopper as a junkie. <laughs> yeah. It's just that so was good. So yeah, clever really good. how Brenner is such a dick because he lets Joyce and <laughs> he lets Joyce and Hopper go into the upside down to find Will, but not him. 
<laughs> the showdown at the school is so great. Like how we talked yeah, about a, a lot of the scenes with Eleven just cinematically, I really enjoyed mm-hmm. most of the scenes. Like I'm a big sci-fi fantasy guy like in my fictional tastes just like i I call it my fast food fiction right Uh, yeah and well i mean as as we talked about and asimov and uh, hopefully we'll do maybe some patrick rothfuss one day i think we've talked about doing uh the name of the wind yeah i just i really enjoy that kind of stuff so to have that kind of magical as telekinetic even I guess to some degree superhero-esque element of the show is just a lot of fun. And you'll like this, though, in the same way that we talked about this in True Detective. Who's the only one who can beat the Demogorgon? What's the most dangerous person there? Yes. Right? It takes an 11 to beat the monster. I mean, it's just another great (laughs) archetypal motif in the show, you know? (laughs) It is. It's great. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that you like that sci-fi stuff. It's fun. And 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 a bit of a shout out to a future episode. We're going to be doing Dune, and I yes. read Dune for the first time. Oh man. It's just, just really yes. cool. <laughs> you know, like cuz it wasn't great. like sci-fi fantasy, which I'd say Dune is a little bit of both even. <laughs> like Dude, Dune is great. I I I know that uh, we've talked about my friend Josiah and he's going to I think be joining us for that episode. So yeah. Uh, hopefully, maybe maybe we're hyping it up a little bit, a little bit of a hype for the listeners. We'll be doing Dune. Oh, you're doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I loved how at the end, like the last session of D&D that the kids are doing after Will has been returned, it's like near the end of the last episode, they're talking about how the campaign is too short, <laughs> which makes yeah. us like, yeah, this show is too short. We need more. <laughs> so it's like so self-aware. At yeah. that moment, yeah, I like the confidence that uh, the showrunners have. They know they made something great. You know what I well, mean? definitely. The last part, and this is a big reason why it's so great, is um, I made a note of all of the great '80s cultural things that happened throughout the show. I probably missed some, but here's the ones I noticed. Uh, obviously, Dungeons and Dragons, but to get into uh, was it Castle Byers? The password is Radagast. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, of course, yeah. Radagast is that wizard in The Hobbit, and they talk about The Hobbit and Mirkwood. And that's actually another great Joyce moment because she plays along and, and, and tries to learn the nerdy stuff yeah. for Will's life, yeah, right? It's great. She's being a great mom. She's not just dismissive of his interests and passions, even if they're nerdy and kind of niche and eccentric. She's like, okay, this isn't my thing, but it's your thing, and I love you, so I'm going to learn about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Walkie Talkies, the song Africa by Toto plays at one point. Uh, the line, I think it's from Dustin, or maybe it's Mike. His name's Yoda, and he can move things with his mind. <laughs> when yeah. Eleven has the Yoda <laughs> yeah. action figure. The song I Melt With You by Modern English is playing at Steve's party, and I love that song. So it was yeah, just a, and a band I love called Sugar Cult <laughs> did a great, <laughs> yeah, they did a great cover, of a punk cover of it. So uh, that was cool. The Flashlights, the song by, I think it's Foreigner, I've Been Waiting for a Girl Like You. I've been yeah. waiting for a girl like you. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be a really true fiction podcast if we weren't talking about the music. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> There's a huge Millennium Falcon in the show, yes. right? I just bought a Millennium Falcon from my nephew, and he doesn't listen to the podcast, so I can say that. <laughs> well, I but, sure uh, hope he does That's going to be his Christmas present, because I don't get to see him because of this crazy COVID stuff. Yeah. There's a line... I think by one of the teachers or someone 
who says, you'd be in detention on Saturday, which is like a pre-wink to Breakfast Club. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Because even though Breakfast Club in the chronology happened after Stranger Things, season one obviously being made in 2016, everyone who made Stranger Things knows everyone would get that reference to Breakfast Club. I can't remember if it's a full song or it's a motif of David Bowie's Heroes during the quarry scene when they're discovering Will's body, but it's really yeah. beautiful and haunting. Uh, no, yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, the soundtrack is... I mean, I think everyone who loves Stranger Things loves the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. There are two posters in, I guess, probably, I think one of them's in Mike's house and one of them's in Jonathan's room of movies that I did on Nothing to Fear, Evil Dead and The Thing. And The Thing is a great movie and Evil Dead also exists. Yeah. <laughs> in case you can't read between the lines, I think Evil Dead is such a shitty movie. <laughs> I think it's so so there. bad, I'm, I'm but the thing is so so good. So it makes I'm up, up for what you're it. laying down. Sunglasses at night by Corey Hart is playing on the radio at some point. I think someone asks, "You guys read Stephen King?" Which is <laughs> yep. such a great. Yep. L's love of the egos, and the last one is Mr. Clark, their AV oh, club I teacher. Love, I love Mr. Clark. Yeah, he does know? a great job. I, I guess Dustin calls him to ask about something. I yes. can't remember even. He's watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers. <laughs> so just those were all of the culturally rich things that I noticed of the 80s in the show. I'm sure there were more, but just I think we talked a lot about in the office how just cultural references and something about the 80s especially just feels so connecting. Like it's such a connecting thing how that scene at Steve's at the party is just made better by the fact that that song is on in the background. Right. You know? Right. It's just this little extra glue to keep people hooked because, you know, music and movies and food of an era, even like Egos, it's just little shit like this that makes people feel connected to other people and to other things. You yeah. Know? No, it's true. So I wanted to point all of those out. And, uh, you know, even though... You you and I didn't experience the eighties. We were both born at the end of Yeah, them. we we're children of the eighties. where we're you know babies infants of the eighties. <laughs> yeah, infants babies of the eighties. <laughs> which I believe, as another cultural reference, is a song by the band Something Corporate, or at least Andrew McMahon uh, at some point. Baby, babies of the eighties. <laughs> babies of the eighties, yeah. Oh, there we go. I like that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean what are your closing thoughts on season one of Stranger Things? Ah. Uh, just, you know, guys, it is a pleasure to live in the golden age of cinema. I don't think we appreciate that enough, how great we have it when it comes to television yeah. and the number of incredible shows that we've been gifted by the artists of our age. I, I think, you know, we there's a lot of complaining that happens by some people about, you know, nothing's good anymore and everything's awful. But like we are in the golden age of television mm -hmm. and uh, and it's a pleasure. It's definitely a pleasure to behold. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would just say this show is equally charming and existential. <laughs> somehow, yeah, which is <laughs> you know, which is so well done. Like it, it asks the hard questions about parenting, about loss, about addiction. It it, it asks all those questions, but it does it in this fantastical, curiosity-filled adventure story. Mm -hmm. And it's so intelligent that the nucleus of this show is the kids, because the kids mix the best versions of humor and friendship and sincerity and confusion even 
all together yeah. to yeah. unbelievable effect, you know? Like, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd really have to think hard if there's any other show that is equally this good as a mystery and as a character sketch and character relationships to each other. Hmm. You know, like, I'm I'm rewatching, um, just by the by, I'm rewatching Lost because all the seasons oh, are on Amazon. Wow. And I, I actually like Lost. I'm, I'm controversial opinion of the day. I think Lost is on balance a really good show. But I can see why it lost people, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> and it's because the mystery element was like the hook. The whole mystery yeah. of Lost, I think, is really what people got excited at the beginning. And then the mystery, I think you could I think it would be fair to say the mystery element of Lost turned out to be a bit of a disappointment in the end. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way for sure. But what was really not wasn't the hook so maybe people felt a bit cheated but i think as time went on what really became awesome was the character relationships and the growth especially of a character like sawyer oh man he had the jesse pinkman arc where you just hate him yeah. in the beginning and then by the end you really like him <laughs> i never watched it so oh, okay well I, yeah sorry spoilers for lost but uh, no no by no, the no, end good. by the end i think it's a very character driven existential show with a bit of a weaker mystery and I think Stranger Things managed to keep... Well, we don't know, because season four hasn't come out yet. We don't know the total resolution of the show. But season one, anyway, it's both so good. Both the mystery and the relationship and characters are so awesome. And I think that... I, I don't know. I can't think of another show that... I, I'm sure there are some, but I just can't think of any off the top of my head. No, like that, I think you know? you're right. I think I would agree with you. So anyway, again, we really appreciate all listeners. If you uh, get any value out of our podcast, we would just really uh, love if you could leave us a rating and or a review on uh, Apple Music, uh, the uh, Apple iPod, or was it Apple Podcast app? I guess, like, do people even have iTunes anymore? Like, is that a thing? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and I'd also like to say that, uh, you know, we're not a gigantic podcast. We're not. We're just here having fun talking about things that we love. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, share us with your friends. And we're uh, we're small but mighty and we're really enjoying this. So, you yeah, know, exactly. this, is, this is quite the journey that we're on. So. Yeah, big milestone. So, yes, um, feel free to send us an email, reallytruefiction at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on or join the group on Facebook. This has been another episode of Really True Fiction. My name is Luke Mason. And my name is David Parker. May the force be with you. And also with you, my friend. <laughs>